It's time to hear what's good, what's bad, and what's ugly at the multiplexes and at the art house. Warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, or doghouse in that area. You'll also hear about new and old films on Blu-ray and on DVD. Plus, you'll hear all the latest Hollywood gossip. I don't care! Okay, maybe not the latter, but it is time for film sociology with WFYI's film guru. Kaiser Shizzy! No, that's Matthew Sosi. It's such a fine line between stupid and, and clever, yes. Let's see how thin the line is. Here's your host, Matthew Sosi. Film lovers, welcome to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD2 The Point and WFYI.org. If you have a question or a comment, you can email me at msocy, that's M-S-O-C-E-Y, at WFYI.org. I'm also on Facebook, also on Twitter, at Matthew Sosi. The show is available as a podcast. It's also available on iTunes. And we have a blog, which someday will be updated at filmsociology.tumblr.com. Hanging out with me in studio from Nouveau, from the Film Yap, and a member of the fellow member of the Indiana Film Journalists Association, doughy white guys with glasses, all of us. Sam Watermeyer, how are you, sir? I'm good, yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's always good to have you here. And, and he's got a write-up that's in this week's Nouveau, and in print and online. You can go check that out. And he's got a really cool film series that we're going to address a little bit, among other things. We have, we have a lot to, to, to cover. Uh, we are, of course, in the midst of, uh, of Oscar movie season, and uh, you know there, uh, most of those films are still out in theaters, so it's a good time to go check them out. That being said, this is also the time of year where the studios have to put out something, <laughs> anything. And this weekend, we had, we had three sequels. Well, actually, two sequels and an offshoot. And uh, a little peek behind the film sociology curtain. I'm, I'm directing a play right now at a Scottish Rite Cathedral, which opens in March. So my evenings are gone. So I, I cannot attend the, uh, the evening screenings with my fellow IFJA guys. So I've been relying heavily on screeners that are sent to me. And by the way, they don't send the, the, the big titles, so don't ask. <laughs> um, morning screenings, uh, press screenings in the morning, or I either go late, late, Thursday night or early, early Friday morning with my favorites, the old, the unemployed, and the weird. <laughs> and so then I'm like, okay, what am I going to see for the show? I don't want to see suburban mom porn. <laughs> that is uh, Fifty Shades. I don't, you know, a single guy has no purpose going to that. Um, so I didn't. And then I really, really liked John Wick. And I, I haven't wrapped my head that I want to watch another one of those. I've heard a, decent, a couple decent write-ups. Um, except for Richard Probst, of course. But um, <laughs> hi, Richard. But but anyway, I I, I don't I, I really liked it as a standalone action film. I don't know if I want to sit through another one because I like the first one so much. I don't know yet. So I then instead I opted for the Lego Batman movie, which I saw after rehearsal last night. So this here's here's the scenario. I'm at AMC Castleton for the 945 2D, I don't need to see it in 3D, um, <laughs> screening of this, and I, I'm the only one in the theater. And oh, I thought, wow. Nice. Yeah, because, and, and I mean, there, there, there are other inside secrets. When, when films say they open on Friday, quite often there will be an 8 or a 10 or a 7 or a 9 p.m. screening on Thursday, so you can get the word out. And, and I figured all the suburban moms are going to be at 50 shades and all the all the action heads are going to be at John Wick you know there there will be no children at the Batman movie on a school night this late and and there wasn't and then about 2 minutes before the screening started like three three adults showed up so anyway mm -hmm. i i thought i was going to have a private screening with my reclining chairs like the people in in uh in uh Wally -E, but no it was not anyway <laughs> 
Okay. So it is it is a Batman movie in Lego form. So we have uh, Will Arnett, who's re- reprising his role as Batman from the Lego movie. And there's a lot of cool voices in this. Zach Galifianakis. Hey, I can actually recommend a film with Zach Galifianakis in it for the first time in a while. He's the voice of the Joker. Anytime you can get Rafe Fiennes in a comedy, do it. And he's fun as as Alfred. Rosario Dawson as Barbara Gordon. And if you go on IMDb, you're going to see a slew of voices. And there's some some big name and or big voice names in the voice uh, voiceover world who have one or two lines on this. And one of my favorite piece of stunt casting and he has he has he had a cameo in uh the Lego movie. But Billy D Williams has two lines reprising his role as Harvey Dent. Nice, so, that's great. Yeah, little little tiny things like this. And by the way, Voldemort shows up in this not voiced by Ray Fiennes but by Eddie Izzard. <laughs> so so there's the story. So we have Batman versus the Joker and all the other villains of, of you know, so, some have more screen time than others. Of course, Harley Quinn has more screen time. There's no Lego butt shots in this, guys. Sorry. Oh, darn. Stop. You know where you're thinking that. But uh, <laughs> nobody wants to know what the Lego butt looks like anyway. But um, but so the, the, the big conflict for, for Batman is not the Joker, but the idea of having to work with others. So it's it's the film is smart. A lot of screen right credited screenwriters for this. I was worried it was going to muck up the stew a little bit, and it, it it really doesn't. But you know, there's there's thoughts about there's there's images of Bruce Wayne's family, and he he's a loner and a rebel. And then, oh, and then Michael Sarah shows up as the voice of Robin, who be, becomes adopted. Uh, unbeknownst to Bruce Wayne, who's one of those yeah yeah guys. Anytime you he, you're talking to him, but he's not listening to you. Um, so he shows up. And uh, I will say this. So from a kid's standpoint, they're going to like it because it's colorful and it's Legos and it's wall-to-wall action. Um, Grown-ups will be fine. It's not as good as the Lego movie. Lego movie was one of the biggest surprise films of the year that came out because I think most of us – all right, the film the film critic people, us um, – were kind of dreading the idea because it looked like a product placement movie, and it turned out to be a lot smarter than that. This isn't as smart as the Lego movie, but it also has one other thing it needed to be. It needed to be better than Batman versus Superman <laughs> from last year, and it does that by leaps and bounds. Um, so it, as a grown-up, you'll enjoy it. If you're, if you're a Batman fan and, and to any degree, you're going to enjoy it. There's a lot of references in this. And, and ladies and gentlemen, they poke fun at every Batman. Last year, Christopher Nolan, Joel Schumacher... Tim Burton, the TV show, and yes, even the black and white serials from the 1940s. Oh, wow. There, I mean, there's wall-to-wall references in this, and it's it's just a lot of fun. So, it's one of those that, again, as as a kid who knows nothing and a you know grown-up nerd like us, um, it's going to be enjoyable. So, so anyway, that is out there if you need a break from Manchester by the Sea, fences and moonlight, and and I understand that it's it, that's heavy stuff. Um, so anyway, that is out there. You saw Lego Movie, right? I actually haven't seen it yet. Really? Yeah, now, I'm, I'm now behind. Sure. Yeah, it just had. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, unle- you know, unless we get paid big, big bucks, you know, we- sometimes a film slips through the cracks. And uh, my my 15 year old daughter, the little hipster, was was that was kind of leaning up against the wall, going, I don't know if I want to see this, <laughs> you know, because she's selective now about her animation. And then I showed it to her, and she's like begrudgingly going, yeah, that was actually pretty cool. So anyway, it's it's fun. Um, all right. Uh, so that is happening in theaters now. Um, speaking of sequels, I guess you you did see Rings? I did. Did we need it? No, we didn't. But <laughs> I, I did sort of enjoy it, though. I didn't have a bad time. Um, the one subplot that I really enjoyed was the one with Johnny Galecki, as a college professor who finds the deadly videotape and he ends up researching it and showing it to a bunch of his students and then he has to basically keep track of their death clock um because you know after you wa- you die 7 days after you watch the videotape so he gets other people other students to watch the tape for them to prevent some of his student researchers from dying i thought that was kind of interesting is he only in like the first 10 minutes of the film 
Oh, no, he has a pretty juicy role. Oh, really? Okay, because when yeah. I heard he was doing that, of course, first stunt casting. Yes, we know him from Big Bang Theory. Mm-hmm. But but it, uh, it, it, it I, I wondered if it was like Richard Dreyfuss in the Piranha films, where he's just in there five minutes, and, and to, to here's a fun cameo, and then we just move the, the movie along. So, okay, so he's in there long, because it looked like, okay, he's just going to download it, and then he dies. <laughs> no, he actually has a pretty juicy role, and he creates this cult around the videotape. Oh, um, I thought that was interesting. Also, it's kind of interesting to think about the whole concept of the ring and the age of everything being online. You know, it started as a videotape, but now it's online. So I imagine, you know, millions of people are able to watch this and they're, you know, uh, Samara, the evil ghost, is after millions of people now, I guess. I, I don't know. I thought that And was... I bet there's a website that, uh, a nice novelty website devoted to looking this stuff up. Right. And will it have lunch with the killer from Unfriended? <laughs> Two ghostly beings there. So, okay. Well, that, there's, there is that. Um, God, I was, I, re- I remember, uh, what, I was on Fox 59 AM and I had to review the first rings. And this, this was so, this film was so old, ladies and gentlemen, so far back. You know, I said, you know, Naomi, Naomi Watts being afraid of a VHS tape. And, and sadly, the VHS tape was Scooby-Doo. But that's <laughs> anyway. Um, all right. Moving moving on a little bit. A few films of note in the area. Um, oh, this weekend at the uh, at the Keystone Art Cinema on the north side of town, you can see separately the Academy Award nominated short films. You can see the live action ones. Or you can see the animated ones. Now, full disclosure, I, I didn't get a chance to see these. I, my, my screener must have got lost in the email. <laughs> but um, anyway, so full disclosure, I haven't seen these. But I'm going to recommend the concept of it. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now uh, you know, for us film guys and ladies, um, it is very rare for us to sit down and get ready to watch a film that we know nothing about. I mean, if it happens... Once a year, maybe twice. That's a very that's a very cool thing. So I haven't done research on the films yet, but it's one of those you could just sit down. You're going to get five quality films, and obviously you'll have different opinions of of the five of the five. And, and you know, if you have short attention spans, they're going to be fine. They're shorts, but but these are short. These are films you're not going to see anywhere else. It's not going to be open on three thousand screens. They're not going to be expanded into a feature. They're fine in and of itself, and you get five of them. So I would say take a chance and go spend an afternoon or an evening with these. Um, you know, they got nominated for a reason. Um, and, and I understand there's, you know, there's time and your money and a sitter and food and, and all that stuff. Um, but I would say, and you want to get your money's worth. I understand that. But I would say, especially now in the dead of winter, get out of the house and take a chance. That's all I'm saying on that. Did you see the shorts? Not yet. Yours also not in the email. (laughs) (laughs) The Keystone Art Cinema is my favorite theater though. So I'll definitely be. With or, with, with or without the cocktails down the down the street, down the <laughs> room there, and real butter. Okay. Um, also of note, th- and again, these times all depend on when you listen to the show, ladies and gentlemen, because it's on three days. So if you're listening on Saturday, get ready. And if you're listening on Monday, hope you had a good weekend. Uh, but at the Artcraft Theater in Franklin, Indiana, at 7, 2 and 7.30 p.m., so you're, you're missing the first screening, but tonight at 7.30 p.m., the African Queen. You can see Bogart and Hepburn and John Huston's direction on location for a lot of that um, on a big screen. And I think anytime you can watch old movies, I know T- and it's great to watch TCM and AMC and all that stuff. But to see something like the African Queen on the big screen, definitely worth doing. So that is happening out there over at IU Cinema. And I'm hoping to get John Vickers on the show very soon. Um at 3 o'clock today, on Saturday the 11th, you have Humoresque. At 7 o'clock, you have Kabali. On Sunday the 12th, at 3 o'clock, on the verge of a fever. And then at 6.30 p.m., uh, the Korean comedy drama romance, 20. Monday the 13th, an affair to remember with Deborah Carr and uh, Cary Grant from 1957. At 7 p.m. as a part of the South Korean Millennial Series. At 7 o'clock on Monday the 13th. You call it Passion. The Danny LaFere uh, lecture on Thursday the 16th at 3 p.m. And his film, oh my goodness, the 2009 documentary La Derive Douce en Femme Petit Goave 
at 7 p.m. Go to cinema.indiana.edu if I butchered it. Um, and then Friday the 17th at 6.30 p.m., the 2015 animated film 66 is a part of the Underground Film Series. And at uh, Saturday the 18th, Body and Soul from 1925 at 7 p.m. So you can go check those out. Uh, okay, uh, we got a few titles of note on uh, DVD and Blu-ray. Nothing old, but uh, I was yesterday on Morning Edition. Uh, they actually had uh, a couple of minutes with Justin Timberlake. He was this was outside the uh, Academy Award luncheon that they have for all the nominees, and it was a fun interview with him. But I had forgotten that Trolls is up for a nomination, and Trolls is now out on DVD and Blu-ray. And I believe if if I, I'm paraphrasing Chris Lloyd's review of this in the film yet, but it's the perfect film for parents because you can flip it on for your kids and not have to worry about them for 92 minutes. <laughs> and uh, and and that's probably the best thing it does. If if you're if you or your children like to hear little colorful troll singing pop songs. This is the film for you. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> um, almost, uh, also in uh, on DVD and Blu-ray, a film that uh, does have an Oscar nomination. It's for uh, Ruth Nega for the film Loving, the, uh, the interracial uh, drama with her and Joel Edgerton. And uh, so anyway, uh, hopefully that'll... That'll get a little more business on D, on uh, on home video. It's it is a it's a solid drama. Could have been much more overwrought and overbearing, and uh, and plays it uh, plays it low key, which uh, which is uh, which was a nice surprise for me. Um, anyway, I, I I enjoyed it, and I'm really glad that Ruth got a nomination. Did you did you see that one? I wasn't crazy about it. Really, it's a little too low key for me. Um, okay. And I understand the whole idea of, you know, enjoying it because it doesn't have those Oscar bait moments. Or lifetime moments. <laughs> right. Um, but I don't know. I wanted a little more drama. I wanted it to be a little more stirring. And I just found it way too subdued. It kind of, it it bored me. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, there you go. See? Should, should I just leave now? <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Uh, if I if you don't agree with me, you what do you what do you think this is a rally for somebody who's uh, anyway? Um, so that is out. All oh, the documentary, the Eagle Huntress, with uh, with eagles flying and and young girls with their arms out, and Daisy Ridley's doing the voiceover. So if you if you dig in, it reminds me a little bit of Whale Hunter, only with hmm. eagles. As far as uh, young girl empowerment, so that's out there. And uh, Almost Christmas, the annual family drama uh, ensemble comedy where people get together for the holidays and they don't like each other, but by the end of the film, because it's Christmas, they'll be okay. <laughs> That's out there. Um, all right. I want to—Sam Watermeyer's hanging out with me. And uh, first off, I know you also had a review in Nouveau this week mm -hmm. on a lesser-known film. Tell us about, uh, about that. Yeah, well, uh, I've started this weekly column uh, for Nouveau dedicated to reviews of locally made movies. Uh, my first entry was a review of a horror movie called Plank Face, and it, uh, it's much better than you would guess from that title. When you have face in the title, that's that, yeah. the possibilities are a few. But uh, that was... Uh, produced by a Bloomington production company, and it's kind of an art house response to The Hills Have Eyes or... Original remake, or does it matter? Uh, the original. Okay. I mean, it's kind of a backwoods slasher, uh, but with sort of an indie sensibility. And this week, I reviewed a web series called The Book of Dallas. It's about an atheist who is hit by a truck and sent to heaven... And God asks him, because he's a reporter, to write a book that clears up some of the major misconceptions about religion. And basically, God is upset about people committing atrocities in her name. God ah. is played by a woman. And it sounds like the setup of a really corny faith-based film. But it's actually uh, very funny. It has a satirical edge to it. You see the main character, Dallas, uh, on the book tour promoting this book. And, of course, it stirs up controversy. And he uh, has some naysayers and bloodthirsty reporters on his uh, tail. 
and there's you know humor comes out of that um it's written and directed by joe atkinson who did the uh documentary from the ashes about the purple aces basketball team in Mm -hmm. evansville and that premiered at heartland last year and um that's basically how i discovered this web series which he actually did back in 2012 um I really enjoyed it. I It's on Vimeo, and you can also find it on the Court Street Productions website. Um, it's it's a little indie uh, indie gym, um, so I, I have an article about that in Nouveau this week if you want to check that out. Uh, and NouveauNot.net, so very cool. Yeah. Very cool on that. Now, on the Film Yap, you have a series, and this, this one really tickles me because he is uh, – Sam is going back and checking out old films – but I, is is the criteria that they had to have been double cassettes, or just they just have to be long? Well, that's uh, mostly they just have to be long, you know, three hours plus. But I was kind of inspired by my nostalgia for those bulky two tapers. <laughs> yes. Um, that uh, my parents owned several of them, and I was always intrigued by those as a kid, and I always wanted to, you know, tackle watching one. Um, so, and you know, I, I'm trying to kind of bone up on my film history and, and, uh, get around to these movies I've been putting off watching for a long time that I'm kind of embarrassed I haven't seen. Um, Again, there are films we miss and then the world is shocked as if, you know, you haven't seen that and you could, you could shoot off like a hundred titles that the person who said that hasn't seen. Right. So... Yeah. What I try, I used to be very judgmental of people, and now when they tell me they haven't seen, you know, some essential movie, I just say, "Well, you're in for a treat." I I've been trying to better myself over the years with that exact same thing. Yeah. Um. So the ones I've seen so far, uh, I started with Braveheart. Um, Saw that in the theater back in '95. Yeah. What'd you think of it? It. You know what? Uh. It. I liked it. I don't. I. I don't think I picked it for best picture when it came out. But it's you know the big sweeping epic, and it's it has now become one of the templates for big freedom fighting sword epics. Um, you know, of course, Gladiator would be five years later, and of course, our buddy Ed Johnsonot. You know, it, it has become a template to compare other films by. For instance, I believe Ed Johnsonot called. The Birth of a Nation, Braveheart if you're not a racist. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you could say Birth of a Nation is Braveheart if you're not an anti-Semite. But no, uh, anyway, but, but, it, it, but it is one of those big sweeping epics that, uh, that Mr. Gibson really wanted to make, and, uh, and he did. So I, th- I think it's good. I don't think it's a great film. But, uh, but I think one of the things with a lot of the films that you're, that you're going to cover, we've been covering, is... You can always hear critics say you could you you could splice twenty or thirty minutes off of that, and not just second unit stuff. But if I what I remember about Braveheart is it takes a while for it to wrap up. Hmm. Not not Lord of the Rings wrap up, you know, with nine endings. <laughs> um, but you know, I think there's a, as an audience member, once a certain thing happens, you, the credits can't come fast enough. But that's just me, and hmm. and I haven't seen the film in a few years. But and you have so how about you? What about you? Well, I what I found interesting about it is that uh, as I was watching it, I started to think that all of Mel Gibson's directorial efforts kind of have a common theme. They all torture. Well, that and they all revolve around basically a, a defiant guy standing up to the powers that be. Um, in uh, Apocalypto, it's a tribesman kind of standing up to um, uh, a rival Mayan tribe and the Passion of the Christ. Of course, it's Christ standing up to the Roman Empire. Hacksaw Ridge. Right. You know, a man who refuses to embrace the violent ways of the army. So I thought that was interesting that, you know, all of his movies share that sort of common thread. And if you ever get a chance, South Park makes fun of his obsessions with torture scenes. (laughs) <laughs> whether he's in them or not, but uh, yeah. And actually, uh, I'll have to add Passion of the Christ to uh, my project. I haven't seen that one either, so. Really? Yeah. 
Wow. Um, I'm, so I'm not in for a treat. I'm guessing. I, well, no, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna tell you what to think of it. I just uh, Ed Johnson's review is still a uh, still one that is talked about. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, I I saw it in the theater. I saw it in a full packed house, and there was weeping and there was crying, and not by me. Um, <laughs> there there was stunned moments. Um, I also think of. I also think of uh, of Carl uh, Barflowski in the Passion of the Jew episode of South Park, where he's absolutely horrified. But uh, anyway, um, wow! So I can't wait to read that installment. So I'm yeah. just gonna leave it at that. Uh, what else? What else have you seen with the series? Uh, I followed up Braveheart with uh, the English Patient because it won Best Picture of the Year after Braveheart, um, and I was curious to see if I would hate it as much as Elaine Bennis. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, you know what? People, there's there's similar paths with La La Land and that film hmm. because there is there is a there is a tribe of folks, and I'm one of them. I pick La La Land as my my favorite film of the year. People who absolutely loved it, and then there are people who's like, and I think SNL did a skit on this of, hmm. yeah, I liked it, but I didn't love it as much as everybody else. And there, the the people who love it now think you hate cinema. Um, it's it's like my battles with people who love a Christmas story. I think it's overrated, and then people think I hate America and I hate cinema. <laughs> so, and the English play, the English patient has a certain amount of that, and and yeah, it, it, the, so much that Seinfeld made an episode about <laughs> it. We were talking off air. I mean, it's it's pretty, it's really good looking people. Mm. I mean, Ray Fiennes and Kristen Scott Thomas are fun to look at. I cared more about Juliette Binoche and Naveen Andrews's portion of that film a lot more than the. Not quite Casablanca in the sand, David Lean thing that uh, that Anthony Michalia wanted to make with English Patient. Um, yeah, I I mean it's one of those old Hollywood romances. That's what it wanted to be. I mean, it went, yeah. yeah, a big sweeping. Right, but I I never really got a sense of why they fell in love. It's like they fell in love just because Cause they're both good looking. Right, and I don't know that kind of detached me from the movie and and. Like you said, I actually found the other romance more interesting between Ray Fiennes' nurse and um, another soldier. He was part of a bomb disposal unit. Yep. And that one's kind of interesting because Juliette Binoche's character is used to losing loved ones during the war, and you kind of worry that this new lover of hers will be another you know, lost loved one. Um, I was more invested in that, but uh, yeah, I, I just Ray Fiennes and Kristen Scott Thomas. You know, they're certainly gorgeous looking, but I got bored with them. Yep, if, and of course the other snark is if you only had a cell phone. <laughs> I I saw that in the theater with my now wife, and there there is a moment, and I, I remember these for for some reason, but um, but the moment you see Naveen Andrews without his turban. And it's a scene where he's he's washing his hair shirtless, and it's it's almost like Rita Hay- the Rita Hayworth hay f- a hair flip in Gilda. He's got and and we find out that he has this really long curly dark hair, and there was a collective gasp <laughs> among the ladies in the audience. It was it was impressive. It was quite impressive, and uh, I, I jokingly posted on Facebook many a uh, couple years ago in my long hair faces. <laughs> that's how I tried to feel when I would come out of the shower. I had up until uh, a few good men, I grew my hair out for about almost three years, so I was past the shoulder. And, uh, yeah, coming out of the shower, I was trying to feel like Naveen Andrews. And then, actually, it looked more like lamb chop when it when it dried. So, anyway. Uh, but, yeah, I just remember there was a collective <gasps> by, by, the, by the ladies on that. I think, they were, I think they were expecting Ray Fiennes, and they got a bonus. So, it's similar, similar incidents happened um, when, in the film Beauty Shop, when Jamon Hunsu opens the door to Queen Latifah and he's shirtless, and there was just, you know, oxygen got sucked out of the room by the ladies, <laughs> and maybe a few dudes. And uh, God, this is and then the the American version of Shall We Dance with mm. Richard Gere and Jennifer Lopez and Susan Sarandon. It's the second time I brought up this damn film this week. I talked about it with my <laughs> wife, but there's a shot of Richard Gere in a tux. It, it's at the end of the film. Not really a spoiler. But you see him coming up an escalator in a tux with a rose in his hand. And ladies, 
ladies just melted in the theater. Just, uh. <laughs> so anyway, there's your there's your and and that's probably happening this weekend with Fifty Shades, but I don't want to know about it. So different <laughs> weird things. Oh, by the way, and go to go to the film app and you could read Chris Lloyd's takedown of Fifty Shades. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's that's out there. So yeah, it's the English patient. Yeah, another one. It's it's. It, it's fine, but not not best picture material. Now, those are the two you've done so far that's already been published? Yeah, well, the latest one came out today, and that's a uh, review of Gandhi. Yes! Um, Legit epic, worth every, worth every second. Oh, definitely. That actually might be my favorite of the three I've watched so far. Um, I thought it was very moving and, uh, uh, you know, really ambitious, epic... Um, but, you know, also very intimate, um, which I enjoyed. And, you know, Ben Kingsley is amazing. And um, I, I've i actually seen Richard Attenborough's uh, Chaplin, which I love, too. So, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that one. I also saw that in the theater. There was a lot of time in the early 80s I was the youngest person in the theater by a good <laughs> 30 to 40 years. And... Uh, I also remember sweep. We we used to bet on the Oscars in middle school, and I swept. I cleaned up because oh, I wow. pick, everybody picked Tootsie because it's funny as hell and it was a wonderful film. But I picked with my head and mm. swept. But yeah, that that's of of you. Actually, you're right because there are there are these huge shots of of the Indian desert, and then there's some wonderful two people scenes yeah. with Kingsley and a, and a myriad of of other folks. Also, the fact that for a lot of people that for pretty much the United States, that was their introduction to Ben Kingsley. Hmm. And so when he won and he started doing and even before that, when he started to do the surrogate, we were like, oh, he's just this little English actor. <laughs> wow. Oops. Um, I, 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 I can't prove this and I'm not endorsing this, but I know there's lately there's been a lot of talk about whitewashing in Hollywood, but. Kingsley did it so damn well. I think he kind of gets a slight pass because he's really good. Yeah. In fact, with a couple of years ago, he played another Indian character in Learning to Drive with Patricia Clarkson hmm. that uh, my daughter just discovered and really enjoyed. So it, it helps if you're really, really a fine actor. So I, I just speaking of which, I just saw a trailer. There's some kidnapping action film with uh, um, Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. I oh, think wow. I think they get the end credits. Felicity Jones and uh, is it Nicholas Holt? I believe the kid mm. from Warm Bodies. Anyway, I saw that. And just went, oh, I think I can't remember if Ben or Tony Tony because I know him. <laughs> you know, I can't remember which one got the end credit. I wondered if it was a bet. So, <laughs> so now I'm like, okay, if these two get a scene together, it might be worth worth reviewing when it opens. But yeah. but we will see. So, well, cool. Yeah. Um, I'm really that's really cool that you got to see that. So do you mm. what else what else do we have piled up? By the way, he's not watching these on tape. I already asked him. <laughs> that's a lot of double disc. You can go to half price books and get them for like fifty cents. <laughs> um well speaking of Anthony Hopkins, uh Meet Joe Black will be on there. I didn't realize it was three hours long. Nobody f- people seem to forget that. It is I did a sh- I did a show here, actually. I did a uh, I have to find the list, but it's a wonderful two hour film. The problem is it's three hours. Yeah, you would you if you look at that story, you look at the synopsis. I mean, it's it's kind of a heaven can wait. Here comes Mr. Jordan, you know, ghost who shows up and bothers a guy. <laughs> but that's three. Yeah, it's three hours. It sounds like it should be two, but it is three. So good luck. Mm. Sorry, that's already. Well, okay, ladies and gentlemen, this and this happens quite a bit, uh, whether it's plays or films. Um. I don't like to know ahead of time how long something is. Hmm. It and and there's there is somebody in our group that we adore that quite often when there's a screening, that person will tell you how long the film is. And I don't I don't want that. Um, if I'm directing a show and I have I've had people who audience members, how long is the show? <laughs> it's as long as it has to be. <laughs> so because if something is great, then it and you don't have to. It doesn't matter if it's three hours. I, we've also seen seventy-minute films that dragged on, like the Bataan Death March. <laughs> so um, anyway, sorry to put that plant that seed in your head. No. So what what else you have? Uh, well, the big one that I'm kind of building up to is Lawrence of Arabia. Um, You've never seen Lawrence of Arabia? No. <laughs> well, I hope you get a great treat out of it. Is that what you? Yeah. <laughs> um. 
And what are some other? Uh, Anything by David Lean, really. <laughs> yeah, well, A Passage to India is another one I want to see. I just found that on Blu-ray. And I, uh, a couple David Lean stories. I, I actually saw Passage to India when it opened. As I said, I a lot of times I got dropped off at the theater with, you know, 20 bucks and said, I'll pick you up in a few hours. Now, sometimes I would do two films and and then sometimes I would see something like A Passage to India, which takes, you know, three hours. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was fascinated by movies then, and I would often be the only kid hanging out there. But, yeah, I was 14 when that came out, and the fact that I got to see a David Lean film on the big screen, that was that was kind of a deal because A Passage to India on TV is different than seeing it on the big screen. We, we've done that discussion. But um, in the summer of 1989, uh, I was home from my freshman year of college, and my buddy John Devick and I, we drove down to the Fox Theater in Detroit. This is, and the Fox Theater is one of those theaters we've seen them. It's like the Paramount and Anderson, and it's a few others where, you know, it was it was a once a gorgeous movie house or a vaudeville place, and then you know, the '60s and '70s hit, and it became dilapidated and or a porn theater or <laughs> you know that thing. And then by the '80s and '90s, you're trying to revitalize your downtown. And anyway, the Fox Theater, I believe, put down at least two, three million dollars in renovation, and it reopened at the late spring, early summer of 1989. And one of the first events they did at the Fox Theater for ten dollars in 1989, worth every penny, I got to see a 70 millimeter print of Lawrence of Arabia. Oh wow! With organ accompaniment, there was the guy in the giant organ with playing giant. No way. There's no, no matter what I say, you you know what I'm trying to say. But he played before and during intermission oh, wow. and after. Yes. And by the way, wait till you see those. You you have those films with the overture. Even better when it's not a musical. An overture, the intermission, and then and then the outro. But uh, seeing Lawrence of Arabia, and I was 19, so mm. it kind of it kind of hit me at the right time. I think. Uh, you know, as as much as I love the big sweeping up, I mean, a passage to India at fourteen was a little challenging, uh, <laughs> but I was I I kind of got balled balled over by the scope of it, mm. and um and I hope there'll be, like you said with Gandhi, there's gonna be some really nice intimate moments on top mm. of the the big sweeping stuff. So, yeah. Um. Any any other titles? Otherwise, I'm gonna start throwing them at you. Well, well, speaking of that, people have been asking me, you know, like, where's Titanic? Where's Malcolm X? Well, these are only movies I I haven't seen. Have before. not. Right. Um. And so, what are some other ones? Uh, Nashville. Ah. Okay. Yeah. Um. You know, they don't necessarily have to be kind of old Hollywood epics. They can just be long films. Um. Um. Or some, Adam, Listen, do you have suggestions? Uh, uh, Nicholas and Alexandra from the early 70s. There, there's, there's a number of musicals that could go in there. Mm. Uh, my Okay, and if you've seen these, let me, like My Fair Lady, mm. uh, New York, New York. Oh, yeah, I've been meaning to watch okay. that. Okay, yeah. yeah, because I, I keep bringing up New York, New York because of La La Land. Mm. Um, there are, and I believe Criterion is putting out Umbrellas of Cherbourg and its sequel, who's which. The title is is losing my head. I'm losing. I forget it. But there there is a similar feel to that, and uh, and La La Land also has a. It's a lighter version of New York, New York at times. Hmm. New York, New York, is Martin Scorsese's big '40s epic musical wedged inside a John Cassavetes drama um, nice. with De Niro and Liza Minnelli. It's World World War Two is over. He's a saxophonist. She's a singer. Their career, they fall in love, and their careers don't quite happen at the same time, and there's some tension. Hmm. And it's really, it's considerably darker than La La Land. So hmm. I would say if that's, if La La Land is still in your brain, New York, New York would be a really good spot to go. Um, gosh, see, now I'm going to start checking out those. But yeah, Nicholas and Alexandra, some of the other David Lean films, um, Big Country is another one, I believe, hmm. with uh, The Hallelujah Trail. A comedy western with Burt Lancaster and Lee Remick. Hmm. Um, yeah. So anyway, you can go to the film yap and 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 hit Sam with your suggestions. So there's there's yeah. a few there right now. I so, do. Very good. Okay. Um, I do want to get to a dead person we like because we don't have time for dead people we don't like. Also, the fact that I got this note. Um, were you a Battlestar Galactica guy at all? No. 
That's okay. Well, have a seat over there. But but Richard Hatch. Richard Hatch passed away, best known as playing Captain Apollo on the original 1978 series. And uh, this was also one of – and he wound up uh, – this is one of – he's one of those guys that I can't remember the last most recent thing I've seen Richard Hatch in, but he was constantly working. Hmm. I mean, I'm looking through, and I, I don't know – Asylum of Darkness or The Enchanted Cottage or Chatter or Alien Hunger or Starship 2 or Alongside Night. But the the man was constantly working. So so we kind of like that. I know he was also uh, a teacher. Uh, and I know he made appearances on the reboot of, of Battlestar Galactica. But uh, I also remember he, he took over the role. Well, he took over the spot for Michael Douglas in the streets of San Francisco uh, in its final series. Um, appeared in films like uh, Best Friends from 1975, a uh, lot of TV stuff, uh, Barnaby Jones, All My Children, alias Smith and Jones, um, Living Legend, The King of Rock and Roll, played Michelle Pfeiffer's bow in Charlie Chan and the Curse of the Dragon Queen. That was Peter Ustinov playing Charlie Chan. I saw that in the theater in 1981. It was really <laughs> bad. And, uh, and, and I remember the... the the cult following with Battlestar Galactica and uh, somebody took a couple of the episodes and spliced them together and put out a movie. <laughs> and this, this happened a couple of times in, uh, in the seventies. And, um, and I remember the, uh, the golden Turkey awards, I believe they did the, their category for worst ripoff. And if I remember, I, I think Battlestar Galactica won that because they did that. So it was like uh, when, when Burt Reynolds became huge in the mid seventies, Somebody had took uh, had taken a couple episodes. He did a TV series called Dan August, where he was a, a detective, and they kind of spliced a couple of those episodes together and tried to pass it off as a movie. <laughs> that this happened. Um, oh, I think wow. I think the Meanest Men in the West was that same thing with uh, Charles Bronson and James Coburn. But uh, anyway, so that's so salute Richard Hatch. But yeah, somebody I got a note from somebody. Who was on my on my Facebook page? Who was chewing out NPR for not covering Richard Hatch's obituary? <laughs> not the Survivor guy, the actor guy. So anyway, there there's some Richard Hatch love. Salute to you, sir. If Mike Perry was here, he'd he'd salute him too. <laughs> um, there's a couple of some music documentaries I, I've been meaning to get to, and and I'll I'll be hopefully talking about these a little long, a little more on uh, on the film show or on the blue show, you know, that other thing I do on Saturday nights on HD one. <laughs> but, um, if you're a music fan of various kinds, th these are really cool. One is a uh, man of the world, the Peter green story, uh, Peter green, of course, one of the founding members of the blues band, uh, Fleetwood Mac in the, in the <laughs> uh, mid to late sixties and, uh, tells his story. Uh, brains got fried by some, uh, life choices. I'll, I'll say that, but, <laughs> but his influence as a guitarist, um, music historians know his impact with Fleetwood Mac and as a solo artist. So, uh, but it's it's finally cool that he gets to tell his story and uh, fun stories from Mick Fleetwood and and others from that era. Um, Robert Muggy, the documentary filmmaker who I know is teaching at my alma mater north of here at uh, Ball State. A couple of his films have been released on video. Uh, one is the documentary New Orleans Music in Exile, and it talks about the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans and what musicians around there were trying to do to get life and music back in the city. And there is a slew of people, Dr. John, Irma Thomas, Marsha Ball, The Nevels, Kermit Ruffins, Rebirth Brass Band. So, um, And the, the quote on the back from former Nouveau guy Steve Hammer. So, uh, hi, Steve. But uh, anyway, that is out from NVD Visual. And a lot of good, a lot of cool uh, performances as well. Also from Robert Muggy, Last of the Mississippi Jukes, which talks about the dying uh, art of the uh, Southern Mississippi Juke Joint. Uh, interviews, of course, with Morgan Freeman. And artists, you see performances by the likes of Alvin Youngblood Hart and Eddie Cotton and Chris Thomas King. Uh, but talks about the Juke Joint life and how... Uh, it was dying out by the beginning of the 21st century. Um, scarred but smarter. The life and times of driving and crying. And driving and crying, I saw these guys. Uh, I, I played them quite a bit in my radio days at Ball State. Uh, saw them open for Leonard Skinner when I was in college because they had opened for somebody. But this was a band. They, they were uh, a Georgia-based rock band. And they had some songs that charted, and the story—it's a story we've seen before of a band's rise 
and there's some fall and there's some conflict and and record companies and MTV don't know what to do with them and uh, it it reminds me of Tesla where they they kind of got lumped into a group unfairly they were much more than that Tesla was not a hair metal band and and driving and crying were not the alternative band or southern rock band that any or or metal band for that matter they were kind of thrown into they were loud and they were rowdy they loved i think if i remember right they loved hank williams but they also loved the ramones (laughs) so anyway these guys get to tell their story um there's a documentary called my way a kick-ass girl rockumentary and this is about rebecca Starr, a woman who had a band in uh if i remember western pennsylvania and uh, she winds up going with her uh, her friend and fellow musician, going across the country to uh, to L.A. to try to make it big. And there's interviews with Ricky Rocket and uh, Stephen Adler and Chips Enough, and these are bands that her band opened for. Hmm. So it's two girls on the road playing at various gigs, trying to sell CDs to get enough money to go to L.A. to make the video, to make some contacts. And uh, and of course, there's the usual conflicts along the way. But it is uh, and and it's funny because the videographers, I think, are, are uh, leave the project halfway through and the girls wind up filming it themselves. So uh, anyway, that is out there. And then also, uh, I believe this was aired on PBS, but 50 years with Peter, Paul and Mary. So uh, a lot of folky stuff there. So, OK, um, Sam, how you doing? Good. I actually just want to say I Please. I took uh, one of Robert Muggy's classes. At Did Ball you? Um, it was world film history. Fascinating class. I saw some great movies. Uh, he's one of the best professors I've ever had. So yeah, if you if you look up um, and actually we'll do that right now. Um, hi, you're listening to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD Two The Point. NWFYI.org. Sam Watermeyer's hanging out with me. Ah, yes. We go to, well, we, of course, RobertMuggy.com. <laughs> um, yeah, his his knowledge of cinema and the, the stuff that he is, you know, it's, it's you could compare him to Alan Lomax but as far as getting out there and just finding material. Um, uh, going back to, my goodness, there's a lot of this stuff. Uh, Frostburg. Sunra, um, Cool Runnings, the reggae movie, The Gospel According to Al Green, The Return of Reuben Blades, Saxophone Colossus, a documentary about the, the, the great Sonny Rollins, Hawaii Rainbow, um, Kumuhola, Deep Blues, which I've talked about on the other show, um, Kingdom of Zydeco, Gather at the River, which is a bluegrass celebration, Pride and Joy, the story of Alligator Records, which was also very influential in my early uh, blues radio days. Um Iguanas in the house about the iguanas, and and these are varied. Some are two, some are full length feature films, uh, documentaries. Some are you know half an hour long. Um, a roadmap to Louisiana music, rhythm and bayous. Uh, Last in Mississippi Jukes we mentioned blues divas, Memphis blues again. Uh, a night at Club Ebony, deep sea blues, all jams on deck. Elvin Bishop's Raisin Hell Review. Elvin Bishop has a new album. You'll hear it on the Blue Show. Um, Zydeco Crossroads. Last year it was Steve Bell, Storyteller. Uh, just a slew of stuff. Um, but, yeah, robertmuggy.com for more information. Do you remember what you watched in this class? Yeah, uh, we watched um, Aguirre, Wrath of God. Uh, it was the first time I had seen that. Um we also watched. Okay, uh, I have. I'm sorry. I have to remember. I can't remember if Fitzcarraldo is a two disc thing or not. I don't think it's three hours. But anyway, p- ponder that. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll add that to the to the Potential list. Potential list. So. Yeah. Um, last year, the one that really struck me was uh, last year at Marion Bad. Um, I thought that was really interesting. Um, and you know his his uh, enthusiasm for film is just infectious and. Um, that was a great class, and it really uh, kind of increased my my love of cinema even more. So for me, it was uh, uh, Dr. Wes Gehring's film genre class. I took that class too. Yeah. What did you watch? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, I was really excited when we got to personality comedies, and he showed uh, Defending Your Life. Wow! I, I'm a huge I flipped out because i'm a huge albert brooks fan so when he showed that as an example of a personality comedy i almost went up and hugged him i uh, that was great yeah that's one if i if you know if i were running things albert brooks would be the actor who got 20 million dollars a picture easily (laughs) by far that's cool um do you remember what other thing um 
Yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, oh, um, I forgot what genre it was supposed to be, but we also watched uh, An Unfinished Life. Oh, uh, Rob, the, the Robert Redford film yeah. that Lassie Hallstrom directed. Which I expected to be really bad and really corny, but I was I was very moved by it. Um, uh, we watched, uh, I think it was another personality comedy, or it might have been uh, Screwball. Yeah. Uh, Return to Me, or All of Me, I'm sorry. Oh, the Steve Martin one. Yeah. I, cool. I had never even heard of that. Um, so I was I saw it in the theater when I was <laughs> 16. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, <laughs> so, but I really loved that, and uh, Wes Gehring's a really cool guy. Yes. Um, and... I, I took his class my senior year. Now, did you have it? Do you remember if you had it two days a week or three? Uh, I think it was two days a week. Okay. Well, we mine was three. So what we would do was um, Monday we would discuss the genre. Wednesday we watch an example of the genre, and then Friday we would discuss the film. Hmm. And uh, it was the most satisfying class I ever had, and I still remember most of the things we talked about. I mean, what's great about Wes is he would pick stuff that you don't expect. I mean, when you we would do like the war film, and he picked Patton, and and I remember it divided the class. Hmm. You know, half the class thought George Patton was a patriot, and the other half thought he was a sadist. Um, and the one, and I I still give him pleasant grief about this. But um, we did, uh, for his uh, sci-fi film, he picked Time After Time. Oh, with I love Mal- that movie. Yeah, with yeah. Malcolm McDowell as H.G. Wells. Rare rare hero role for Mr. McDowell uh, and Mary <laughs> Steenburgen and David Warner as, as Jack the Ripper. And it's it's H.G. Uh, Wells chasing Jack the Ripper through 1979 San Francisco. And he sees Mary Steenburgen. And, and there's a disco scene because it's 79. And uh, and then I think the following week was horror, and he picked uh, the original Fright Night, hmm. which was and, and part of it was I think you know again that's an example I I if you gave me fifty horror films to pick I probably wouldn't pick Fright Night, but I know why he did part of it was the comedic element and part of it was taking stories that we knew the vampire genre and and adding it in but it also had a disco scene so <laughs> we we kind of politely busted his chops and like no more disco scenes um but anyway yeah that was a, that was a fun fun class and uh we had to do the big research paper at the end of the at the end of the semester and i did mine on the westerns of clint eastwood because unforgiven had come out Oh, wow. So it was a it was just a blatant excuse for me to watch Clint's westerns and write <laughs> about them. So anyway, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Film classes at the Ball State University, our alumni money at work. So <laughs> when did you graduate from there? Uh, I haven't graduated yet. I have two classes left. Two classes that I've been putting off for a really long time. Well, the beauty of college and film and music is that it's always there for you. So <laughs> you'll get there. We'll yeah. get there. So fell. Chirp, chirp there. No. Um, <laughs> okay, cool. So um, now, what, 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 what is date night movies going on at the, at the, at the Sam house? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> you've, been, you've been posting those. Those have been cute. Yeah. Uh, well, I've been, uh, I feel kind of bad because I've been making my girlfriend, Jen, watch these long movies with me. Um, and she's actually enjoyed them. She gave me a hard time about the English patient. Well, that's all right. That's um, justifiable. Um, she's really into horror, actually. Uh, and we've been, unfortunately, we've been watching these uh, kind of terrible Netflix horror movies. Her choice? Uh, yes. Okay, well, um, yeah, nothing you can do about that. The one we watched recently was, uh, it was actually kind of interesting. It's called The Invitation. Um, it's about this guy who's invited to his ex-wife's uh, dinner party, and um, he finds out that her friends are actually part of a cult, and they're trying to uh, kill the dinner guests. Um, I thought that was kind of fun. Uh, she, oh, we watched um, Hannibal, uh, the movie. Um, really, the the with Julianne Moore and Anthony Hopkins yeah, and I, and Ray Liotta's brains. I actually love it because I think it's 
it's like very elegant and well, it's be- Ridley Scott. Yeah. yeah. It's very elegant and beautifully shot, but it's also really pulpy and fun. You know, you have Ray Liotta eating his own brain, and yeah. the Mason Verger character is fun. I don't, I love it. Okay, I, all right. <laughs> Some ridiculous thing there, but okay. Um, oh, um, if you get a chance, and we, we were talking about uh, online earlier this week about Keanu Reeves, and uh, mm-hmm. in the AV Club, there's a really cool series where they've been highlighting the year in violent cinema. And they've been doing it every two weeks. They started it with Bullet in 1968, and they, you know, every two weeks they pick a major f- a film of note, and then all the other films of note that came out that year. Um, today's uh, this weekend's AV Club installment is Speed. Mm-hmm. We go to 1994, and of course this is partly because uh, John Wick Chapter Two opened in theaters, and I'm verifying with with Sam his favorite film of all time is the original Matrix. Yes. And this, and I, we, we were talking earlier about making fun of Keanu Reeves in 2017 is kind of like making fun of Yoko Ono now. It's it's just low hanging fruit. It's and I I think I said it's often done by people who haven't seen any of Mr. Reeves's work in at least 25 years. Mm-hmm. So looking back, and 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 you know, yes, we're gonna go past the Bill and Ted era. <laughs> we have uh, we have my own private Idaho. And yeah, there was also the one-two punch of Bram Stoker's Dracula and and Much Ado About Nothing. Um, I don't blame Keanu Reeves for doing Much Ado About Nothing. You get to you know do Shakespeare with Kenneth Branagh. You know, didn't know he was going to be in leather pants and massaged at playing uh, Don John, but that happened. Um, you know, even Cowgirls Get the Blues, Little Buddha, Speed, of course, made him a, a big action star. Um, I know there's a cult for Johnny Mnemonic. That's great. And then he made a walk in the clouds, which, you know, it could have been a three hour epic sweeping glossy thing, but it's not. Um, Devil's Advocate. You don't remember him because you just remember Al Pacino screaming for endless times. He's creepy as hell in the gift. Mm. Um, and then there's the Matrix. Okay, how are you on the Matrix sequels? Um, I I like them. I think they're kind of watered down versions of uh, the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the first one just because I think it's a perfect blend of, you know, popcorn spectacle and really thoughtful uh, drama. And it also, you know, so many action movies now to me are just kind of chaotic messes where you can't yep. really tell what's going on. And The Matrix has these just balletic really vivid action set pieces. And one of the things that made John Wick so enjoyable is that you get these long single shots of guys beating the living day and shooting the living daylights out of each other. These are, (laughs) these are not stunt doubles or if they are, it's done really, really well. But uh, yeah, it's not, it's not wall to wall editing Mm. uh, with, uh, with John Wick, but I mean, going through, but there's, there's a lot of stuff here he's done that people kind of maybe forget, or he's still doing stuff that gets well overseas. I still need to check out 47 Ronin. I've heard there's, mm. there's a small following for that. Um, but he's also done stuff like knock, knock and, and generation, um, and man of Tai Chi. So anyway, I, I, it's kind of low hanging fruit and that that's an easy punchline. I think try harder folks. <laughs> so, all right. Um, just a reminder, uh, you can go check out the Lego Batman movie. There's a slew of Oscar nominations. Go to the film app. Read Sam's stuff about uh, about long ass movies, and send him your suggestions, cur- uh, courtesy of the film app. Ladies and gentlemen, some words to live by. Silent breed is people. Zardoz has spoken. Sam, thanks for hanging out. Oh, thank you. Go see a good movie. You deserve it. You're listening to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the Point and WFYI.org. Good afternoon, Fort Myers. Good afternoon, California. Good afternoon, Michigan.